Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the 757 Renaissance Man Podcast. I hope you're buckled in. I hope you're ready to go because today my guest is DJ Crate Digger and he speaks with his hands. So go ahead, bro. You are rocking with my brother, the one and only DJ Crate Digger. Keep it funky. One thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain. Uh One thing about music when it hit you feel no pain. One thing about music when it hit you feel no pain. One thing about music when it hit you feel no pain. White folks that controls your brain. I know better. Catch me cause I'm gone, out of them, gone. 
five, go from six to twenty-three like I'm LeBron. Serving up a pack, serving up a pack. Pulling gimmicks cause they scared to rap. Ay. Funny how they shook, shook. Pulling back the curtain by myself, take a look. Ay. I'm a boss hitter, I'm a hard hitter. Yeah, I'm light skinned, but I'm still a dark. I'm a weak splitter, I'm a tall figure, I'm an unforgiving wild dog. Something wrong with her, got them all bitter. I'm a bill printer, I'm a grave digger. Yeah, I am what I am. I don't have no time for no misunderstanding. Uh, Martin had a dream. Martin had a dream. Kendrick have a dream. All my life I want money and power, respect my mind or die from less shout. I pray my d- get big as the Apple Town, so I can f*** the world for 72 hours. Damn, I feel amazing. Damn, I'm in the matrix. My mind is living on cloud nine and this nine is never on vacation. Start up that Maserati and I'm racing. Popping f- in the lobby and I pray they don't find her. Then I pray you niggas is aging. Shooters go after Judas. Jesus Christ, if I live life on my knees, ain't no need to do this. Park it in front of looters. Next to that church is chicken. All you f- is losers. All my niggas f- is winning. Screaming all my life. I want money and power. Respect my mind or die from less shout. I pray my d- get big as the Eiffel Tower. So I can f*** the world for 70. <laughs> Top shift, call my girls and put them all on a spaceship. Hang one night when y'all say I'll make you famous. Have you ever seen the stage throwing eight shoes? Step my money fast and go fast, fast, fast like my Lambo. Jumping off the stage, oh.
good, brother. How you feeling? Man, first of all, appreciate it, appreciate it, appreciate it. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> Bro, that was awesome. So for all of my uh, listeners that are just listeners, you just missed an exhibition in DJing, and you need to go to the YouTube channel right now, search for 757 Renaissance Man, and see what this brother just did. The turntable's on fire right now. They're smoking. Appreciate it, appreciate it, appreciate it. Man. I I I um you made a believer out of me. I ain't got nothing else to say. <laughs> All right. Thank y'all for coming out. We we out. Thank y'all. <laughs> God bless you. Till next episode. Good night. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> Man. So okay. One of the things like when as a kid, I live vicariously through guys like you. If you had, I can't tell, go back through the history of the podcast. I've been friends with DJs all my life because I always wanted to be a DJ and pops was not trying to get me the equipment. So I ended up being a little rapper in my younger days because rapping was free. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I so love and appreciate the art of DJing and you're in a level shout out to my man, DJ B you're in a level of what we call a turntablist instead of a DJ. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, so I try to take for so two things. I understand that there's some people who are going to hear this, and then there's people who also had a chance to see it and hear it. So they have there's going to be a little difference in the context of understanding. But um, so like similar to yourself, like growing up, even though I didn't want to be a DJ, I grew up. I was born in the late '70s, so I grew up in and you know in that hip hop space where hip hop was burgeoning. So I knew about breakdancing. I knew about rapping i knew about graffiti a little bit i knew you know i knew about the true elements of hip-hop yeah so like i understood about the, the elements of hip-hop and then i would see it like from time to time show up in spaces like herbie hancock's rocket where mm -hmm. i would listen to the dj scratching or i would see a video somewhere on the news or whatever and i would see a dj physically moving a record back and forth plus probably similar similar to yourself having grown up in a household where moms and dads had records, mm -hmm. grandma had records, like the family had records. All throughout the family, there were record players. Mm -hmm. So even if they weren't DJing or definitely weren't scratching, you knew what it sounded like when somebody miscued the needle mm -hmm. or when someone started a song, when a, a song started a little too fast and someone would backtrack directly. So you like understood those little nuances. So I say all that to say, as I got, older and moved into my teens and was really involved in hip-hop culture from a space of that was like the the voice of my youth i still wasn't in the djing mm -hmm. i wasn't a good rapper but i was part of a youth program that was doing drug and alcohol awareness and we used like rap skits dancing and different things to engage our peers when we're doing these presentations but i wasn't a rapper by any means wasn't a dancer by any means definitely i have trouble writing my name someday so i'm definitely not doing graffiti and I didn't have access to turntables, so I, I wasn't DJing. Why that's important in, in the context of my story, jumping back a few years around first grade, you know, so I was born in Canton, Ohio, mm -hmm. which is the home of the NFL Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So every year when they have the Hall of Fame inductions, they have a whole weekend of events that starts with like a battle of the bands.
for these high school and some it might even been colleges there. I don't remember specifically, but I remember specifically seeing high school bands perform. And from that moment on, being like six or seven, I was like, ooh, drums. So I went home beating on every pot, pan, anything I could beat on. My mom was like, no, nah, we're not having this. So she bought me a drum. It was a little plastic Fisher Price drum. Okay. And some of you may remember them. Like they were like white and they had like a red rim on one side mm-hmm. and a blue rim on the other side. And it came with like a yellow plastic stick. So like that was my first drum. I beat the shit out of that drum. Mm-hmm. Jump forward. When we moved to Columbus, Ohio, I got involved with West African percussion. So we're talking about when I'm in second, third grade, I'm starting to learn West African percussion, polyrhythms, and also I'm learning to perform. So like all of these things lead up through elementary in the middle school, in the high school, and then I'm involved in this um, drug and alcohol awareness group, which which just adds on to my understanding of performance levels and all these different things. Um, and I'm also was an athlete, so I was running cross country and tracking all those things in high school. So as I get into college, shouts out to Kentucky State University where I went to undergrad. That was the first time I was actually around DJ equipment okay. because a good friend of mine was one of the main campus DJs. So we would just hang out and chop it up, talk music, whatever, whatever. And in my history of having those different cultural and musical education and engagement pieces and exposure pieces i was always thinking about ooh, it would be dope if i heard this song and these lyrics or this song mm-hmm. and this song so i had dj wise i already had a mentality in my head way before undergrad about putting music and songs together and knowing how to layer rhythms and different sounds to build something totally different i watched yo and tv raps i you i watched rap city i had seen djs here and there so i physically knew how to move a record back and forth I physically understood the concept of moving a fader as a little kid. Once again, jumping back, many of you may remember like when Disney came out with a movie, they would have the 45s of all those different songs. So I had the 45 of spoonful of sugar from Mary Poppins or the ballad of Davy Crockett or Swamp Fox and all these other 45s that Disney would put out. And I don't know about your background, but mine, I had one of those little kitty plastic, the almost like a little record. suitcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah record yeah. players. So yeah. I had one of those too. So I would put my 45s on my record player, and every now and then I would try to scratch, and uh, everyone knows those are not made for that. So it probably the needle jump all over the place. <laughs> if you didn't just break the needle, the needle's bouncing, and you know there's no slip mats and all those other things that go into really being able to scratch. So, but once again, that was just me kind of mimicking the different things I saw in different spaces of hip hop. Mm-hmm. So once again, jump forward. You know, when I got the opportunity to, to, to just mess around with a, with a college friend and to physically have slip mats and a, and a needle that wasn't going to jump around. I already knew the mechanics of moving a record back and forth mm-hmm. without having super heavy hands to make the needle bounce or understanding how to move the fader in, backwards and forwards in and out as I was moving the record player and understanding how the record player worked and where the needle was is where the sound was and all those little things that go into understanding the concept of DJing. So I say all that to say, once I got to undergrad and had the chance to physically apply all these different things in the DJing, I took to it, but it was never to become a DJ. It was just like the next page of my musical journey or expression Mm -hmm. or yeah, or, or interest. Um, so it turned into me like hanging out with my buddy, shouts out to DJ Sakari, 
he will let me come to his room. So let me back up. So I was on cross country and track scholarship, as I mentioned. So six o'clock in the morning, first practice. So we have practice at six. We get up, we run, go to class, have an afternoon practice, um, a study hall, dinner, all those things in the evening. So around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, around the time where it was curfew, so I had to be in the dorm, I would go to Sakari's dorm room. And he would just let me practice. So I would just take a tape. Shouts out to Max Sale. And I don't forgot all TMC, I think it TDK. was. And all the other comp- TDK, yeah. yeah. So all those companies who had audio cassettes. Back, you know, for you younger people, this is before people could see in color. We had what these things called audio cassettes. But anyway, <laughs> you, I would drop my tape in. And I would just hit record. And I would just practice. The tape would auto flip. And I would just practice. And we talking about, you know, some tapes were 120 minutes. Every now and then you could call, catch a 180-minute tape, which is 90 minutes on each side. I would just put a tape in and practice. And sometimes I would practice until 2 or 3 in the morning. Sakari would be knocked out in his dorm room. Sometimes his girl would be over. They never made a fuss about me practicing. She never gave him a hard time about kicking me out, whatever, whatever. He just let me practice. And sometimes I would practice for four, sometimes five hours. I would finally get done, take my tape out, go back to my dorm room, put my tape in and fall asleep listening to my practice sessions until it was six o'clock and time to get up for the next practice for practice the next day. So I say all that to say that six weeks into doing this every night with with the exception of weekends when he would have to DJ. So I would follow him to the gigs and I would help him set up and I would just hang out until I either had to leave or if I wasn't, if I wasn't like, whatever, I'm just going to see if I can break curfew and not get caught. Mm-hmm. I'm hanging out with him at the parties. So six weeks in, I'm doing my first gig and I don't even know I'm doing my first gig. I'm thinking I'm just going with him to set up. So it's homecoming weekend. I'm going with him to set up. We set up the equipment. We do all this. He's like, Hey, I got to run downstairs real quick. Go ahead and fire everything up. Make sure everything is going, throwing some songs or whatever. And I'll be back in a second. So I haven't hung out once again, been practicing the craft learning the music, knowing the music, all those things. I knew the records because in part I was helping pack and carry all the records. Mm -hmm. So I knew where everything was. He leaves. I throw on a couple songs. He's not back yet. So I got to throw on a couple more songs. He's not back yet. I got to throw on a couple more songs. People are starting to come in. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, I'm not nervous in the context of performing because I've been performing since, you know, first, second, third grade since a kid. So being on stage performing, I don't have the stage fright thing but i also know that like i can't stop the music and go run for him i just gotta play until he comes back Mm -hmm. so he comes back maybe it it had to been an hour an hour and a half because we're already into the event he comes back like yo yo good i was like yeah here you go he's like oh no i'm 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 djing downstairs i'm like what do you mean (laughs) what do you i I, like it doesn't doesn't compute he's like nah we rocking downstairs so go ahead finish up so my first gig was a surprise gig. He threw me into it, but he knew I was ready. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was ready because I never thought to myself, am I ready to do a gig on my own? I just knew what to do. Um, so from there, like, and this is, you know, 1997, here we are 25 years later, roughly. Mm-hmm. And once again, I never got into it or never learned to DJ to become a DJ. And then once again, I never learned to DJ and I didn't DJ in college with the intention of becoming a professional DJ. So even with that being said, we can talk about it a little later, but there was a good almost seven to 10 year period where I was DJing on a regular basis, doing clubs in the city, doing events, built, really building out my name and, you know, doing things quote unquote big. And I never fully um, sat back and pulled in or realized that 
not only am I a DJ, a professional DJ, but like this is my business. Okay. I have a brand and all those things. So it almost took me 10 years to really full and fully understand what was going on with my life and my artistry and my creativity. And then with that being said, I'm not going to say it was another 10 years, but it was another time frame where I was really, really starting to learn and see all the different things that I didn't know because I never went into it with the intent to be a business or to be a, a, a physical brand and all the other things that I could incorporate it to not just be a DJ. So once again, even though now, as you can, for those of you who can see, you can see that I wasn't DJing with the needles. Mm -hmm. I use what's called phase, which is basically like, it's like a digital needle. It's like almost GPS. So basically for those that can see it, this is a phase receiver. And if you're going to look at the overhead, this is a phase receiver, uh, excuse me, remote. And these remotes basically send a signal to another part of the equipment that you can't see. That's like a little receiver box. And it sends basically a GPS of where it's sitting in relation to the record. And this receiver places the image or the MP3 basically on the record. So it knows that if the remote is facing or pointing towards a certain direction, it's lined up with a certain part of the MP3. And as I move the record forward, it moves forward with the song. If I move the record backwards, it moves backwards with the song. Mm -hmm. So I definitely did not grow up in a space of having phases is, is very new. We're talking about two years max. But using a laptop, as y'all see behind me, for those who are watching, like this is just part of the record collection. So there's records behind me. There's records under the DJ rig, under the DJ booth here. There's a hell of a lot more records in the basement. So for 10 years, I'm two turntables, a mixer, and records at every event. Mm -hmm. I'm carrying Milk four crates. cases of records. Yeah, so I'm, I'm carrying my crates and my cases. I might even have some 45s or some, sometimes I had a backpack with was just reggae that I would carry because I had a very specific reggae set that people loved for me to do. So I would just throw those in a backpack and I would have those with me. So it was 10 years before I even got to the space where I was DJing with the laptop. And then you add in more years when I'm incorporating drum machines and when I'm incorporating video and doing all these things to stretch the creativity of what I was doing at a very high level with just records. So I say all those different things to show like this wasn't like, oh, I woke up one day or had an opportunity or whatever to become a DJ, became a DJ and it's all good. I won't say I fell into it, but it very much is something that I believe looking back on it, like I said, is nearly 25 years. It was it's a calling or something that I was brought to do, mm -hmm. not just to be a DJ, but then all the things that I've been able to do and the ways I've been able to serve people and community and humanity through music and not just once again through DJing, but through DJing, producing, being an instructor, being a, a musician, being a artist development kind of mentor, um, all those different things that I do that all fall under the umbrella of music specifically through a lens of hip hop, because I'm very much a hip hop DJ, you know, no matter where I go or what type of music I'm playing, you're going to get it from the purview or per from the perspective of a hip hop DJ, mm -hmm. but hip hop music as those who saw or listened to the intro is only one part of what I do. And I intentionally weave all those different parts of the musical spectrum, especially the lineage and of, and I, I don't want to say it like it's just one long straight line because it's not, but the lineage of black music specifically is one that I intentionally weave through all the different things that I do. So as once again, as we'll probably talk about when I engage with young people, I can play the new stuff, but the new stuff isn't off in an island. 
So for those who heard the intro, we started with Bob Marley, mm -hmm. Trenchtown Rock. And we took that intro line and we flipped it to show how Drake used it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Drake is rap hip hop, but Drake's hip hop space and Dead Prez hip hop space is not the same. Correct. But once again, mm -hmm. we've taken that same line from Marley to Drake, flipped it to Dead Prez, and now we have three different connections based off of one lyric, one one bar. And then we can move into not just the lineage of that lyric and all the different things it means, but now incorporate the physical attributes of a hip-hop DJing, scratching, cutting, back-to-back, -back, whatever, whatever. Then move it into a different song, different space. So all of those things, especially when I deal with young people, is part of my way to teach and to influence and to add exposure and perspective to hip hop. Because once again, growing up, I won't say growing up per se, but being a teen in the mid nineties, specifically early nineties, mid nineties, when people were in front of Congress here in the United States, testifying about how hip hop was going to be the end of our society and how right, horrible yeah. phone and ice tea and NWA, NWA and all these other things. Yeah. Like two like they were literally, yeah, they were literally in front of Congress talking about, hip-hop the same way they were in front of congress talking about al-qaeda and isis and all these other things that are going to be the the downfall of our society nowadays hip-hop is everywhere and i, I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek mm -hmm. but it's but it's still true like hip-hop is everywhere except for selling hip-hop so like mm -hmm. you know we got hip-hop selling cars we got hip-hop selling everything and anything like hip-hop is in the music it's in the elevators it's on tv it's on video games like but when we were coming up unless you were in a certain space access to hip-hop was difficult yes like growing up in columbus ohio we didn't have a hip-hop station so if you wanted to hear hip-hop either you knew somebody who was going to the record stores buying the stuff or was in the write-on uh magazines or the rap pages or whatever in the publications to know what was coming out or you were getting tapes from your friend in Philly or your friend who has a cousin in New York or whatever, whatever, or you might get a syndicated radio show replay mm -hmm. in your market. So, you know, we weren't turning on the TV unless it was something very specific like a rap city or yo MTV raps or what have you. We weren't turning on the TV and seeing hip hop everywhere. We weren't turning on the radio and hearing hip hop everywhere. It wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. You had to search so for I don't it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely had to search for it. You had to go out and get it. And then with that being said, it wasn't all there. You still had to go to your spots and find everything from your West Coast stuff, your King Tea, your mm -hmm. uh, Ice Tea, your... Uh, the Alcoholics. Alcoholics. Yeah. Shouts out to Alcoholics. One of those members is actually from Columbus, Ohio. Um, your Sir Mix-a-Lots, your mm -hmm. Two Shorts, and all, you know, every, you know, and there's millions more that I left out, Cypress Hill and Souls of Mischief and Everybody else, far side, up and down the mm -hmm. West Coast, and then your Midwest. The folks, you, you know your Midwest, mm -hmm. which was you know Common, your Twistas, your uh. Then you know you move down into the South a bit, or even before you get to the South, you still you know a little later. But you had Nelly and folks from St. Louis mm -hmm. area. You and had the other Houston folks area, Houston area. So you had mm -hmm. your Rap a Lot crew. You know you had your Ghetto Boys. You had UGK. You had mm -hmm. Scarface. Even though he's part of Ghetto Boys, but you know, um, and then, you know, moving to Mississippi, Georgia, Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. So you had like all these different, these, these pockets. And then once again, two live crew out of the Florida area. And then you had, you know, um, clips, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Timbaland and all those folks. Missy yep. coming up. Seven, five, seven. Coast. Seven, yeah, five, so like, seven. <laughs> so we, yeah. And then, you know, we had MC Breed and other folks out of Detroit, uh, not Detroit specifically, but out of uh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. You had Bone out of Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio. So, like, mm-hmm. you have, so we talk about all these spaces and we haven't even said anything about Philly or New York yet. We mm-hmm. still haven't gotten to that space to where all these other artists are from. So, once again, all of that means that there's all these spaces that hip hop was active in the 90s and you had to engage those spaces or know folks who were engaged in those spaces or, or at least aware of those spaces to be able to get hip to different things. And there was nothing, you know, I don't, once again, I won't speak for anybody else, but, and even in those times, I wasn't heavy, heavy in the music in part because I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. So my time wasn't spent hanging out for the most part. It wasn't spent, you know, running to the record stores every Tuesday when releases came out. But I do have those significant moments in my life where I remember where I was when this came out, or I remember where I was or what was going on when I first heard the first Wu-Tang album. Or I remember the first time I heard award tour, mm-hmm. or I remember where I was when I first heard, um, love's going to get you mm-hmm. or how they reminisce, they reminisce over you was the first time a hip hop song ever made me cry. Mm-hmm. Like all of these different experiences that I have, you know, even though I wasn't heavy in the hip hop, they're very significant in the context, not just of that song or that thing, but knowing the power of music and how if it's used and reused, it can have significant influence on people, not just black folks, not just folks in America, but worldwide. And as we know, hip hop is a worldwide culture now, you know, and I, I generally speaking, refer to the hip hop culture and specifically like the rap or corporate business of hip hop or a corporate business of rap separate, they're not always so separate that they don't overlap. But when I say hip hop, nine times under 10, I'm talking about the culture itself and not the business of rap or rap music, all those different things. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a lot to unpack right there. You touched on yeah, well, we, you know, we, we only got an hour, so we trying to, we trying to, <laughs> we trying to hit them with the, with the all you can eat, the smorgasbord. But you took me back for, okay, so one thing I got to touch on is the whole tape thing. Um, my homeboy growing up, DJ Jack of Spade, shout out to Jack. And Jack is the first time where my hip hop and my business mentality came together. Um, it, he came up, we came up together. Like I remember when he went from mama turntables to techniques, you know, and it was a big thing, you know, that's at the beginning of when mixtapes were really doing their thing and we wanted to do local mixtapes. So man, so he'll make a tape, he'll do a mix on like a Tuesday. We had a record store called DJs. We had DJs and mother's records. We would get our little monies together. Like, I'll put in some. My homeboy, Kenyon, put out in some. Shout out, Kenyon. And Jack will put some money in. And we'll go out and we'll buy all the Maxell tapes we can buy. And those little see-through color Maxell tapes. And we'll buy all the ones we can buy. So Jack will make a master for him, a master for me, and a master for Kenyon. And we will spend the next two or three days. And we just had the regular old one-to-one tape decks. Yeah. You just you just making making one offs, making one offs, yeah, right. Yeah. So we'll go and we'll get a book bag full of maybe a hundred copies, 
And then we had a park here in Norfolk called Northside Park. And Northside Park was jumping every Sunday after church. You clean up your car, you go through Northside Park. And we would go through the, oh, yo, we got them tapes. We got them tapes. Sell all the tapes we got, split up the money. And then before we split up the money, we all have to ante up again to buy the tapes all over again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you took me back with that. And so that's another way he got me started in my, I used to do a lot of graphic design for local entertainment industry here. And he was one of the prime connections because when he went to go DJ, I was the dude that carried the crates and go up in the club with him. Gave me two things. I got to go in the club for free. And at certain clubs, we got to hang out and drink for free. And they gave you VIP access. So everybody's like, oh, he's somebody because he went to DJ. Yeah, you're a superstar now. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. That, that's social currency. It matters. So I wonder what it's like now that, you know, nowadays DJs don't carry records anymore. You don't have that door. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things how in the context specifically of that has changed. And what I'm about to say, I'm, I say it with no judgment, mm-hmm. even though some people are going to attach it. And I get that. I can't control that. Now, it, back, I'm, I'm not going to even say back in the day, but, but in the era that I was growing up in, learning the DJ in the 90s and even before, and, even, and, and a little bit after, you had to be good and not just good, but you had to be very good to get known, to mm-hmm. even get an opportunity to get out in the open, in the club, bar, lounge, college party, house party, whatever. You had to be good, very good, to even get the opportunity. Most of these spaces, especially if you're talking about you know, New York, Philly, uh, DMV area, throughout the country, but you can throw a rock and hit a DJ. Mm-hmm. So it's not like their DJs were hard to find, even back in the day. Once again, it was a little different because the investment needed to get equipment to even learn how to DJ, mm-hmm. unless you knew someone who was going to give you time on their space or on their on their setup. You had to invest. Then you couldn't just have the equipment and then get a whole record collection from somebody. You Unless you inherited one, mm-hmm. you still had to go out and buy records. So by the time you were actually DJing, there was so much time and investment into it that you had to have been at a certain level. So I say all that you ha- I say all that to say you had to be good to even get known. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you can get known, be famous and get better as a DJ. Yeah. Cuz so, you got the technology gap isn't there and you know, you don't have to go buy records. You could download a whole bunch of records and you get your get, little you can, catalog. You can get you an iPad, a phone, a laptop, and your, your buddy can copy every song that you can rip from wherever, and you can have a whole collection. And now, not just have the music, but a lot a lot of the technology now allows all of the things that the DJ physically used to do, mm-hmm. as far as song transition, mixing, blending, blah, blah, blah. That can be done by the For computer you. itself. Right, yeah. So, like, there's a million and one examples throughout the world on the internet and even on you know every now and then people might pull out tapes or whatever video of people really just faking it because the technology allows all of the work that a dj used to do or or a quote-unquote real dj does technology can do all that work which leaves the performer to now just be behind the stuff waving 
dancing, having a fun, having fun and performing. And the DJing is the door to get them to the stardom versus a cultural space that allows people to rise above and make opportunities for themselves in the context of what hip hop was born from, which was taking basically something from nothing, mm-hmm. taking these opportunities to, instead of us clubbing each other, stabbing each other, shooting each other, hitting each other over the head with bottles in the streets as gangs, we can at least go to the party, have a good time, get a girl's number, and we're going to break dance battle this mm-hmm. other gang mm-hmm. instead of fighting or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all the things that hip hop culture was created inside of and to address, a lot of those things get lost because now we're talking about the business of hip hop and the business of rap and the business of stardom. And once again, like you said, those opportunities to get into spaces that maybe weren't for you or didn't allow you, a lot of those opportunities are gone because the DJ served as the conduit. So whether it's I'm an artist who has a song and I'm pushing to get into the industry to get my song heard. But if I link with local DJs and have those DJs playing that song around the city, it then leverages me to rise up and get that song in other places. Mm -hmm. Or I got my buddies and we may not have, I might not have a car, but I got a buddy who does. So instead of just get, have him, him give me a ride. I'm like, yo, I need to get my equipment and my music to the club in return. I'll give you the opportunity to get into the club, hang out, you might be able to see some girls, some girls will see you or whatever, whatever. And you're hanging out with the DJ. And we all know, at least once again, before some of these dynamic shifts, proximity to the DJ wasn't something that just happened. Mm-hmm. Because once again, DJs used to use turntables that had needles. So people being close to the DJ. Well, right. We didn't want that. Back that up. Ain't, that ain't happening. Right. right. And if you get too close and somebody asks you to step away, you don't want to step away. Somebody going to have to touch you because once again, the DJ can't work. The party can't keep going if people are bumping the table or talking to the DJ, all these things. So proximity to the DJ is social currency that matters. So once again, whether you're DJing and people see you in the booth or whether you're here with the DJ, you're getting in early, setting up, carrying crates, you're able to drink and hang out with the DJ and meet, you know, whether it's meet the, the artists or different folks who come in as they're on tour or whatever, or people seeing you in the club and all those different things that come with. And, you know, even myself, I'm the, I have four sisters and two brothers and specifically my youngest brother, who's six years younger than me. When I was DJing and doing some of these events, he technically wasn't old enough to get into these 21 and over spots, but he's with me. He's carrying crates. Yeah, exactly. So, so there, you know, yeah. and even though we didn't, we, we weren't involved with any problems. Like he's not getting patted down. He's not getting his ID checked. I walk in with my backpack and I got these two guys behind me carrying crates or whatever. We get, we get that, you know, VIP, that VIP walkthrough mm-hmm. where one of the guys from the door is walking through now to make sure, you know, if I'm not the opener, if I'm coming in after the event is already open after I already started and I just have my records with me, they part, the, got, they part the crowd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so, so once again, that social currency of who's this guy, Oh, that's the DJ. But these other guys who were with the DJ, they get some of those perks too, the same way it is now, you know, the, the, those perks of proximity. Now they've changed. Once again, now the perks of proximity, instead of it being close to the talent, it's being close to or the center of the attention. Mm-hmm. And the attention isn't always based on a skill set or what someone brings to the table now as it used to be because social media and other things and digital inter- engagement 
has changed what that currency is valued upon. So once again, especially when I deal with young people and the different things that I do with young people, I let them know like, yo, being on social media is not inherently bad. Even going viral is not inherently bad, but be careful of what you become quote unquote famous or known for, Mm -hmm. because that isn't something that just disappears. Even great actors can get typecast. So you don't want to get typecast based on something foolish that you're doing at 14 or 15, 10 years from now mm-hmm. when it's still out there and you're a totally different person, but you can't develop and live your life because you got caught up in. I have that conversation with my kids space. all the time. Like you got to be careful because it's never yeah. going to disappear. Like yeah. they're going to be able to bring, like we were lucky. Some of the stuff we did, it wasn't Man. recorded. So we don't have a yeah. record. But this is recorded and somewhere it's going to live somewhere. You don't have control over Instagram servers. Once it's posted, it's posted. Even if you take it down, there's a backup. I worked IT. It's a backup somewhere that still has that and it can't get out. Yeah. And then, you know, I tell people all the time, it's like in my 20s, I made dumb choices. I'm sure in my 30s, I made dumb choices. And before the year is over, I'm sure I might find the the opportunity to, to do or say something stupid but if you think about what we did in our teens even if it wasn't malicious or like reckless mm-hmm. like we're teenagers we make bad choices but once again like you said we had the safety of not having our every move or every thought anything we typed out or wrote out somewhere on record mm-hmm. and once again i tell people all the time it's like just because you think it or say it don't make it relevant in the context of facts Mm-hmm. So, like, I can feel whatever. For example, I use this example all the time. I don't like cooked leaves. Greens, cabbage, spinach. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't like them. I don't care who made them, but you got to try my grandma's. No, you know, with all due respect, mm-hmm. your grandma your grandma ain't important to me. It's not about your grandma. I don't like, the, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So, no matter how I feel about that, all these other things you know, don't matter. So me not liking them doesn't make them bad. Mm-hmm. The same way me not liking them doesn't make the way your grandma or your auntie or whatever thousand year recipe that you bring to the to Thanksgiving doesn't make that bad. That's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. But how I feel about cooked leaves is irrelevant because it's nothing other than how I feel. But a lot of people get caught up once again in not understanding that how they feel it's just how they feel mm-hmm. the same way we got people trying to say that our president ain't our president, even if you didn't vote for him, even if you don't believe in the democratic system, like you don't have to like the system or agree with the politics, but that don't mean it was stolen mm-hmm. or that don't mean that things that we see happening aren't happening just because you want it to look like something else. And once again, you know, everyone has the right to say whatever it is they feel and what they think, but, that doesn't put it all on the same plane mm-hmm. and social media specifically when I deal with young people, you know, adults need to hear this lesson too, but especially with young people, I let them know that like we all have these ideas and we, and we can put them in the same space, but just because they're in the same proximity doesn't make them peers the same way that there's a lot of folks who I engage with in the city and they can call me and ask me for whatever, or if I see them out, I don't have no beef with them and it's all mutual respect or whatever. Mm -hmm. But 
I say that in the next part that I'm about to say is very objective, even though it may not sound it like I've been doing this for nearly 25 years and I can run down my history, my not just my the things I've done, but the influence that I've had, the things that I've done along with other people. So just because you can text me or when we see each other out, we can hang out and be, you know, friendly or whatever. That doesn't make us peers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people get caught up in their proximity to things or people and think, oh, yeah, we're peers. And we're not the same way. For example, Mixmaster Ice of UTFO lives mm -hmm. here in the city. Okay, I've known I've known Mixmaster Ice. I don't even know, I don't remember the first time I met him, but we're talking about roughly 20 years, give or take. Now, I've known Ice for 20 years. I can call Ice and chop it up with him. He'll call me and say, yo, man, I'm trying to figure out this 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 Twitch thing or this Zoom thing or how do I. So like we have that kind of relationship, yeah. but never, ever in my life will I ever think because we have that relationship and I have that proximity to Ice that we're peers. Mm -hmm. He's a legend. Mm -hmm. And no matter what kind of personal relationship with him I have, like our proximity doesn't make us peers. It make it, it make us, you know, business associates, maybe. Or it can make us, you know, folks who have a level of um, professional courtesy towards each other, but we're not peers. And I think a lot of times people see things in the same space and think it's all the same. Kind of like when you go to the liquor store, for example, like all those liquors are in the same store, but we know that they're not all made e mm -hmm. equally. You got that bottom shelf and you right. got that top shelf. Right. And then there's all those things in between. And that, it's not about being a better person or one person having better worth or anything like that. But. A lot of times we think because we see this guy who lives around the corner or in the same city and because he's in my city and I see him, he can't be on the level of these other folks who I see on the Internet mm -hmm. or he can't be as influential or as insert whatever adjective because I can see him. But these other folks who I see as superstars, in part because I don't see them, he can't be. And then when you realize like, oh. So-and-so is working, and not even just like on a superstar thing, but there's so many people in each of our communities who are doing amazing work, who have amazing engagement and influence in their different spheres. But because a lot of us see them, we don't realize what they're doing because, oh, they're just this guy from around the corner or they're local or because I see them. And sometimes, once again, our, our, our value in what we see of ourselves is at a space to where anyone who I see because I think I'm on this low level. So anyone who's in my proximity that I can see has to be on that level too, or can't be here. And those are the different like interpersonal things. Once again, speaking to the work I do with young people specifically, but older folks too, or adults, I should say, is that like we live where we live. But once again, I can take my laptop and go to wherever. Mm -hmm. My, my internet works in Germany, you know, I, I, so right. like I don't have to physically go anywhere or I can physically go wherever I want and still call Columbus home. But we have to start engaging people for what it is they bring to the table, what it is their value is, what it is their intentionality is, and also hold them accountable for what they say, what they do, what they don't say, what they don't do, even if they're great artists. Great artists can not can can be not so good people, mm -hmm. and then people who aren't worried about having one million followers can still be great artists. And once again, I say all those things that that may be a lot because I deal with spaces of young people, college students, and adults 
in and out of creative spaces, whether they want to be professionals or just have interest or are learning a little a, a level of social media literacy to know how to separate those things mm-hmm. and then know when they overlap and then know what is real because it's actual versus what people want us to think is real because they only show the bits and pieces of it. And we try to make a whole picture out of four pieces of a hundred piece puzzle. Right. Right. And one of the things that I, I always had to go back to what I, what my experiences with my kids, um, you can't judge a person's worth far as um, integrity because they got a blue check next to their name. Absolutely. So I'm finding like the more and more people that I interview, my kids are watching me. And, you know, I'll talk to, I'll reach out to a lot of people on Instagram. This is how we communicate nowadays. And they'll say, oh, you talk to somebody with a blue check. But that doesn't make that person, because they got that little verified check, that doesn't make that person any more important than the person who doesn't. You know, just because this person is an artist, this other person is not verified. could be a cardiac doctor that saves people. It's kind of like... Once again, going back to food, it's like you have that person in your family who makes like their job is to make the macaroni and cheese for every family gathering. Mm -hmm. Like that's their thing. Now, they don't have to have a restaurant or they don't have to be a chef or anything else that, quote unquote, validates their cooking. But the family knows like, yo, Aunt Joe is bringing the mac and cheese. Now, we don't care who else wants to try, who else thinks. Like, nah, that, that's, that's her lane. That's what that, she that, does. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> not what we do around here. So I don't care who married in, who's dating, who's past. Like, none of these other things matter. As long as Aunt Joe is here, Aunt Joe is the one who brings the macaroni and cheese. Aunt Joe ain't a chef. She don't have a restaurant. She's not on IG as a mac and queen. Uh, mac, she mac she and ain't got queen. no blue check. <laughs> yeah, she ain't got no blue check. But you best believe when that mac and cheese shows up, everybody's ready for it. Mm-hmm. So once again, to what you're saying, it's like there's nothing wrong with being verified. But then how many young people or just people in general understand what the process is to get verified and what they're looking for? Because once again, most of us live our lives, even though, you know, e- even folks who may be in different industries who use Instagram or other spaces to help push their industries. Most of us who are working to get things done aren't pressed about doing the things that require us to get check marks Mm -hmm. because those are kind of things that are cool. There's nothing wrong with them, but inherently focusing on doing those things because they're not always purely objective takes us away from the things that we have expectations on objective goals for and the day-to-day results that we may see in our own communities and our own lives to where once again, I don't care if I never get verified, but you ask any of my students about Mr. Crate and what Mr. Crate has taught, what Mr. Crate has helped do, you know, whether it's middle school students, high school students, college students, adults who are getting artist development and mentoring, or just people in the community who I engage with. So all of those, those are, those are people who verify me, you know, because in the end, those are the things that are actually real, like your influence and your, there's a specific word that that I'm losing right at the moment, but your effect on folks, that's real. Mm -hmm. Your legacy. 
Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And those are the things that can be verified because it's someday. You preaching there, bro? You preaching? <laughs> so, so at, at the end of at the end of the day, you know, and I, I I say this in some of my my workshops, like at one point, I am going to physically be gone, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a, hundreds and hundreds of mixtapes and videos of this and recollection, like all of these things that can speak to what I did as an artist will exist, but there will also be those people who can speak to my influence on them from either a personal, professional, emotional, whatever level. And once I'm gone, you know, Instagram will probably live on, but what's Instagram going to be able to say about me? What's Twitter going to be able to say about me in the context of, like you said, legacy and my engagement and ideally those things that I taught, not just my children, but the students that I have and the people that I have, you know, relationships with and I mentor or folks that have mentored me, like that's what's real. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we, our time is running down. There's a couple of things I still want to touch on. Uh All right. So we talked about the progression of going from turntables to the system that you use now, but I also appreciate that you're still, rocking with the old school but um going into the future especially with the whole virtual djing so what led you into that because this is very specific i could tell just from the your setup your equipment that you use it was very intentional so i've i've always understood music kind of in a I don't, I'm going to say three-dimensional, but that's just a kind of a, a metaphor. Hmm. As a producer, anytime I make music, I make music to where people can sit and listen to the music that I've made, close their eyes, and see a picture. And not just see a picture, but ideally see a movie, see a video, see things happening based on the music. How that matters to your question. As I developed inside of DJing, once again, I've de- been DJing since 97 and not just doing it since 97, but like when we talk about those 10,000 hours to becoming a master, hmm. I lost track of my 10,000 hour when I passed that 10,000 hour point a long time ago. So at some point, while I can physically just DJ and be fine, I still like don't want to get bored from just DJing. It comes to a point where just playing records is boring because I have all these other musical understandings and com- concepts that I want to see, can I, well, what if I try to do this? Or what if we add this to it? With that comes, okay, if I'm at the club and I want the music to say something, but I still want the experience to be a fuller three-dimensional experience, how can I incorporate video or a visual into what I'm doing with my music in the club? So I say all that as a preface to We're talking about 2010, 2011. You know, I I started to push intentionally on finding ways to incorporate video components to what I'm doing. So even if it's just having a a movie playing in the club while I'm DJing, or if I put together a 30-minute video reel of different things that loops while while I'm DJing, I'm not physically playing the songs and the videos that go with them, but there's a visual component behind me or in the TVs or whatever while I'm spinning to add that visual component. 
or even I don't know how many people may remember Ustream, but we're talking mm-hmm. about 2008, 2009 ish, I feel like, give or take. I was trying to figure out how to take my laptop, get video of myself while DJing and broadcast that to folks who couldn't physically or at the time weren't interested in coming specifically to the club. Of course, most of our phones didn't have the capacity they have now, so it was very difficult. But once again, having learned before I even really learned to DJ, knowing how to plug in the mixer and all the different sound system components, being able to get audio to the use to the stream was easy. It relying on my laptop computer as a camera was relatively easy. It was hard to get a good angle, but like technology wise, I figured I understood all of that to have a quality product. But I always pushed for more, push for high, push for higher. Um, I'm a perfectionist who knows I'll never be perfect. So I'm always trying to push the envelope and see what more can I do? What, what can I do that makes me doper, that makes me fresher, that, that, that creates more separation between what I'm doing and other folks are doing. So with that being said, always finding ways to incorporate a visual component to what I'm doing. Because once again, we hear music all the time, whether it's cars passing on the radio, in the office, on TV, commercials. But generally speaking, how many times do we actually see someone DJing? Mm-hmm. Even in the clubs, a lot of times, once again, to protect the DJ from influences of people, the DJ is set, a, set apart somewhere, whether they're elevated on a stage or up in a, in a catwalk on a balcony or whatever. So physically watching a DJ is something that a lot of people don't experience. So for myself, um, part of how I DJ is in the context or in the mode of physically being a hip hop DJ. So if anyone's watched Grandmaster Flash DJ or Jazzy Jeff or mm-hmm. the list goes on, like they're not just playing records and they're not just scratching and then playing a record. They are physically performing, performing. Mm-hmm. They're playing and they're really just playing an instrument the same way you see, you know, someone Liberace, for example, playing the piano. He's not just playing the keys and playing the notes. He's performing. Glasper performing. Mm-hmm. Jill Scott doesn't just sing. She performs. The list goes on. So for me, part of the quality and the value, once again, that I personally bring, in, at least in my opinion, but can be objective about it, that I bring is I'm not just playing the hottest songs. I'm also performing. And my performance isn't based on something that's, and once again, I don't mean this derogatively, but isn't just on, you know, me being goofy or outlandish. The performance is in theoretically the mastering of my instrument to where I can make music do things that make people go, wow. (laughs) Or how did I never think of that? So for example, I take Biggie's Juicy and I play, you know, play around with the first two verses. And then on the third verse, when he starts with Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, I flip the acapella and he repeats those first two bars over and over. And then I drop the theme to Super Mario Brothers and have Biggie rap over to Super Mario Brothers. Now, that inherently isn't that difficult. It's just about blending an acapella and a beat, Hip Hop 101. But the creativity, the lack of fear in being creative, and stepping back and saying, what can I do that's different? What can I do that can separate me from others? And it doesn't have to be contrived. It doesn't have to be something that's a scheme. 
you know, and I talk about scheme versus theme in other spaces, mm -hmm. but that's just one example of how like it's not enough just to play music in the space that I'm in, because honestly speaking, like computer can just play music. Spotify plays music every day, all day. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to be here to play music. My computer can log, can run down a playlist. Even if it's the greatest songs in history, my computer can run down a playlist. If I'm going to be here, if a DJ is going to be in the space, I personally feel that the DJ has a responsibility to show that the DJ specifically in a hip hop culture context has a value that cannot be replaced. No algorithm, no amount of Intel chips, no operating system, nothing that we want to try to replace a human with can be created to replace what a DJ brings to the musicality and the creativity of using music as a language to engage people. So I feel like I have a duty to perform, to not be contrived or to be goofy or, you know, whatever term you want to use. I want, I want it to be authentic. I still want it to be fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then once again, I want to use technology to let my creativity blossom or, or, or step up. It's kind of like, you know, like the wheel. Like before there was the wheel, we were struggling to move stuff around. We created the wheel. Now, the wheel didn't move stuff for us, but it made us moving things easier. Mm -hmm. And pulleys and all these different technical technology advancements we've made throughout the many the many years of, of humanity. Once again, I just want to use this technical advancement to let my creativity go where I can't go. I want to be able to go from ground into outer space in the context of being a, a DJ, showing that hip-hop culture has value, has and is continuing to grow um, and all those things. And once again, you know, I don't consider myself specifically egotistical, but I do have pride in my work. I have worked a great deal. I've made many sacrifices, both on the personal and family uh, space, professional space, financial space. There's a lot of different things that go into being a professional artist, period. But I've made a lot of sacrifices. So I want to be able to reap some of those benefits if it's not you know, it may not be monetarily, but I want to be able to get up and when I know I'm going to spend, have a great time. Or I want to be able to know that because I did this wedding or I did this set at this this function or I was part of this festival or whatever, that people walk away from that being like, damn. Even if I've seen and heard all these different great DJs throughout my life, the experience I had with Crate is an experience that can't be recreated. Mm hmm. You know, part of what makes Jazzy Jeff so dope is notwithstanding by any, like, the fact he's a dope DJ, that's a no-brainer. But a DJ Jazzy Jeff experience is an experience that no one can give you but Jeff. Seeing Kid Capri DJ is an experience that nobody can give you but Kid Capri. Seeing Biz Marquis DJ is an experience that no one can give you but Biz. And they're all dope DJs. They're all different. Some things they do are similar. But once again, I say all that to say, anytime people see me, whether it's on a live stream, whether it's on a, 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 a high school leadership assembly, whether it's Senior Fest virtually, whether it's on, you know, Columbus Summer 614 stage where we do, you know, live concerts pre-COVID, you know, wherever you see me, I want you to be like, that's an experience that I had that I could not and cannot get anywhere else with anyone else. 
And then once again, you know, you talk about wedding receptions, for example. Like I've been blessed to do a lot of wedding receptions mm -hmm. and it's, it's humbling and it's, it's inspiring. And there's probably a lot of other adjectives I can uh, put in there that someone asks you to provide that service for their wedding and their wedding reception. Cause I think, I think we all understand the importance of that space in that event. Mm -hmm. But when you do it right to an extent, like they're making you a part of their family mm -hmm. because anytime they think back on that experience, part of the greatness of that experience is all of these people came together to celebrate the union of these two folks. And inside of that celebration, we had this DJ, this DJ did this, did that, played this, played that, yada, yada, yada. So you're inherently tied to that experience, almost like you're part of the family. So all of those things that DJing and music allows me to do in my engagement with the world, like, I don't take that for granted. And I, I try to, I, I definitely take it seriously. I don't try to be too serious about it to where it's not fun. But once again, I know the impact music has had on me. And I'm not even quote unquote in the music industry. You know, I'm involved in the in in different business aspects and have different relationships with different artists and different folks who work in and out of the corporate structure. But if I just talk about what music has done for me in the context of how I grew up, learning West African percussion and the cultural spaces and components that they're in through music, being a teenager, learning how to navigate peer pressure, drug and alcohol awareness. Uh, sexual uh, activity awareness and all these different things, not just for myself, but engage my peers. I'm talking about in the 90s when a lot of cities were getting shot up all over the place, crack game, prison, poor education system, all these different things going on. Like hip hop culture as a whole and music helped keep me away from certain spaces that may not have allowed me to survive. Moving forward into how music has allowed me to put food on the table for my family and have great opportunities and even more opportunities to come. So all those things have allowed me to see music not as just something that gets played or just DJing is just about playing the songs. Like it really has become, and I didn't really fully understand it until even earlier this year, that music and DJing has become like my, my life's work. Mm -hmm. So I have a great level of appreciation for it, a great level of reverence for it. Um, and then once again, I am by no means the gatekeeper of what is or isn't DJing, but I understand that a lot of people get into this for the social capital and really little else. And then there's those folks who understand like this is something I don't want to quite call it sacred, but like it's a culture piece. Yeah. And if we talk about culture, like culture is nothing to laugh at, nothing, you know, and there's a definitely a spiritual element to what music does for humans and for the human body. So all those things I, I keep in mind at different, um, in different ratios or formulas, but all those things matter. And I try to take all those things as I best can and push them forward in everything that I do, because everything that I do Monday, I want to do better on Tuesday. And by Thursday, I want Thursday to be better than Wednesday, Tuesday, and Monday. And that's how I live my life. Once again, I'm a perfectionist who knows I'll never be perfect. So I'm always pushing for 10. And even if I do something that hits 10, I'm like, damn, how can I get that 10.1? Mm -hmm. Or I've done some great things throughout my career. And I'm thinking like, all right, not just how can I do something greater, but what's the point of doing something great and then doing something else that's not greater than that?
Like what's the who who works backwards? Who who wants to pay to go to work? Right. Man, all right, so we're definitely going to have to have a part two to this. I'm out here, you know, my my internet works. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the way I end most of my episodes, um, if you had, uh, uh, because I know you deal with the youth on the daily, so if you had uh, a kid come up to you and say, great, I want a DJ, what would be your advice to that, that person? My first question would be why? Because once again, a lot of folks want to do different things, not just DJing, but for, and I won't even say the wrong reasons, but for unsustainable reasons. Um, so I would want to know what their, what their why is. And when I speak specifically, regardless of the age range in artistic development, your why informs your how. So if you're just into something because you need to make a quick buck, even if that quick buck is legitimate because you got to put food on the table because mama is unemployed or you got brothers and sisters who need, you know, all those different, or you need books for college or whatever the reasoning is. If it's about like, I need a financial Avenue to do this, this and that your, how is informed by that. My, how was informed by my, why my, why was just interest in learning this culture component that was part of a larger culture that I was already engaged in. So I say, why? The next thing is a lot of folks, regardless of their age in this time and place, have one of these cell phone. Now, while I don't encourage and don't teach like how to DJ on your cell phone, I tell young people specifically all the time that this alone can let you do pretty much anything in the world except for physically be like transported. You can mentally be transported, but you can't physically transport yourself. You can't hop on your phone and ride to the grocery store, but you can hop on your phone and have your groceries brought to you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us don't realize the tools and things available to us that are already right here. So if you want to learn how to DJ, get on your phone, find a free DJ app and just start to work out ideas. Start to hear and listen to different types of music that speak to you, not necessarily what's the newest stuff or what's the coolest stuff or what's on this list or that list or this playlist or this ranking, but what music speaks to you. And once you start to develop the skill set and understanding how to put two audio, two pieces of audio together, and then think about how to transition or what parts of those audio pieces, and then what is it that I want to say? It may not be something so prolific and drawn out and, you know, it doesn't have to be flowery and more metaphorical, but what it is, what is it you want to say with music? Because in the end, that's what DJing is, is about telling a story, but I just tell the story with the, with the, with, with music, as opposed to with words as a rapper, with movement as a B-boy or B-girl, or instead of creating art graffiti, you know, my story is told through the music. And once you start to have them in investigate and kind of explore those components of it the rest kind of blossoms the same way if you have a young person who likes to write poetry or a young person that likes to cook or a young person that likes to write stories or a young person that likes to take electrical equipment apart and figure out how it works and put it back together like whatever it is they like once you try to teach them and show them the skill set on and navigating below the surface as they get below the surface they're going to want to dig deeper and deeper because once again, theoretically, their interest is in it is 
an interpersonal kind of calling or interpersonal um, comes from an interpersonal space to where in the end, once again, theoretically, they're digging deeper into themselves to better understand who they are, how they are, whose they are, and what it is that they want to become and who they want to become. And they may realize it's not something they like. You know, I went to undergrad to study accounting, not because I really wanted to be an accountant, but I wasn't interested in working at a funeral home. So I was like, you know, I don't want to work with dead bodies. So being an accountant is another job that pretty much we will always have. Mm-hmm. We'll always have funeral homes and we'll always have accountants. And after doing accounting work for two semesters, I was like, I'm not really feeling this. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. But at the same time, you know, I was once again, friends, peers, different folks. And then my own background allowed once I got into the space of DJing, as I started to do those that self-evaluation it blossomed and like i said six weeks in i'm djing a party at homecoming six weeks ago i wasn't even doing this to learn or to become a dj just to learn and that was once again 1997 here we are 2021 and you know i could i've met people going places had interactions and different things that i would have never dreamed about 20 plus years ago all because of these turntables is mixer hip hop culture and you know my love of music and other interpersonal skills that i have that allowed me to be successful but to your question once again first question i ask is why do you want to do insert thing mm-hmm. and then start to dig deeper dope dope all right so how can people get in touch with you what's your social media your website booking information how can they get mr great digger Cool. So uh, 24-7, 365, you can catch me on CrateDigger.com. That's K-R-A-T-E-D-I-G-G-A.com. I have music, video, tutorials, uh, even a 30-minute um, documentary and more on the website. Um, so that's always there. If you have booking uh, inquiries or, or things like that, there's a page there for the booking. If you want to buy T-shirts or sweatshirts or other merch, we have a store tab on the on the website. So the website is kind of like a hip-hop bodega, so to speak. It's got a little something for everybody. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Crate Digger. Once again, K-R-A-T-E-D-I-G-G-A, all one word on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DJ Crate Digger, facebook.com slash DJ Crate Digger, and mixcloud.com slash DJ Crate Digger. So if you type in Crate Digger into your Googles or your... Ask Jeebs or <laughs> all these other uh, search engines that I've forgotten about over the many years. Alta Vista. K- yeah. <laughs> Netscape. Right. Uh, there's, there's probably more, but um, I'm sure there's more. But if you type in Crate Digger, K-R-A-T-E-D-I-W-G-A, if you don't have CrateDigger.com come up first, stop using that search engine. But it'll be <laughs> easy to find me. And then once you get to the website, you can link to my social media from the website. You can check out things on the website. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Um, I'm in many spaces, um, but theoretically, if you just go to the website, the website is the hub of everything. And even if you go to the website, if I'm live streaming, all my live streams uh, hit the website. So even if you don't have a Twitch account or the Twitch app or feel intimidated by uh, engaging a new uh, platform, all of my live streams simulcast to directly to the website. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm out here. So yeah, I feel like there's stuff I'm leaving out or more options or opportunities to 
have your crate digger experience. But in the end, you know, check in with the website. And I try to, you know, I was slow on it in part because of COVID. And I'm starting to reschedule things and getting things reconciled and caught back up. So ideally, the events page will start to be more and more current. But um, I, I'm not hiding from the world. I'm definitely out here. I do six live streams across five days weekly um, with the summer schedule coming soon and me teaching camp and all those things. The, the schedule will shift. But um, I'm honestly not that hard to find. I'm not hiding out. I'm far from a superstar. Um, and, you know, no matter the greatness of some of the things that I've done and the, the great amount of pride I have in a lot of my work, um, I'm not hard to find. I'm not, you know, hiding out. I'm not unaccessible. So. All right, sir. I really want to thank you for your time today. Um, I know that somebody somewhere has gotten value from our conversation today. Um, my name is Sean. That is Crate Digger. Um, you can reach me at 757 Renaissance Man, um, Facebook page, YouTube page, Sean Connors everywhere, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, and actually Twitter, Sean M. Connors. I'm starting to tweet. So, yeah, been running from that. Um, before, yes, I appreciate, the, uh, appreciate the, the opportunity and the invitation. Man. Thank uh, you. Anytime, man. Like I said, you will definitely have to be back because we didn't even get into hip hop theory or none of that. Nah, just... that <laughs> and I got my eye on that Biggie Smalls Funko Pop in the back, too. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he's back there. He's back there. Yeah, yeah. So normally I, I sign out right now, but I have a special request. I All would right. love for you to do what you did for the sound check please sir okay all right so okay so all right let me ask this so i did the i did a a ll and peter piper what's it called so how about i do this i'm gonna truncate that and just do the ll part because i usually do a, a not a fuller set but i do a a, a little ll set so we'll, we'll do the ll set that allows people to kind of see once again um some of the things i spoke about of how i kind of tie music and different things together and show the lineage and connections inside of music so give me one second to make sure I can pull those files up. No then, doubt. And we, yeah, we'll close out with that. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the 757 Renaissance Man podcast. You can find us anywhere and everywhere you get your major podcasts, Apple Music, Apple iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, I mean, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, YouTube, Instagram. Come find us. Come holler at us. Uh, let's have a good time. Two up, two down. I'm going to leave you guys out with Crate Digger, and we out. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. You down. I accept. They off Anybody, I don't care, you tell, I accept.
Craig Digger, the Mighty Sound Champion Crew. Shouts out to the 757. Peace and love. One. Peace. We out.